welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on August 16th, 2015, on the basis of Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. When something is valuable, we protect it. We handle it carefully. We maintain it diligently. We keep it in a special place, maybe even a safe or deposit box. We sometimes even take out an insurance policy to protect it from unforeseen damage. When something is valuable, we protect it. And the more valuable it is, the greater the lengths to which we will go. So what's your most valuable asset? Interestingly enough, whether we would confer with the wisdom of the world or with the wisdom of God's word you'd get the same exact answer. Your most valuable asset is not your house or your car. It's not jewelry or family heirlooms. It's not your nest egg or your earning potential. Your most valuable asset is your name, your reputation. Unfortunately, in a world where so much information is available on the Internet, protecting that valuable asset is getting harder and harder to do. 80% of employers say that they will do an internet search of every single candidate applying for a job. 70% of them have said they've eliminated a candidate from consideration because of something that they found on the internet, even though what they found in many cases was really about someone else who just happened to have the same name. Protecting our good name, our reputation, is getting harder and harder to do. And so as a result, even as we speak, an entire industry is developing, revolving around reputation protection. Articles are being written. Books are being published about things like developing your own self-brand, defensive Googling, techniques for reputation recovery, all to help you protect that most valuable asset of yours, your good name. Of course, none of those things was around way back at the end of the first century when the words in front of us today were written. And yet even back then, reputation was important. And if there had been this industry revolving around reputation protection, then the Christians that we're going to be talking about today probably would have been almost like the world-renowned experts that everyone wanted to talk to. You see, this book that's in front of us today, the last book of the Bible known as Revelation, is actually a letter that was written to seven different churches in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And in the opening chapters of this letter, Jesus himself briefly addresses each one of those seven churches one by one. There's usually some sort of compliment, followed by some sort of criticism, finally followed by some sort of instruction. And we can almost picture that as the Christians that we're talking about today, the Christians in that city known as Sardis, saw that letter arrive and and started to read these opening verses. They were very excited to get to the part of the letter that talked about them. You see, these Christians in Sardis had developed 
a very good reputation. They had earned for themselves a very good name for all of their good deeds, for the love that they showed one another and that they showed the people around them. And so we can picture them eager and excited to see what Jesus would have to say to them. We can picture their shock and their disappointment when they found out. You heard what Jesus said. He said, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Look, whether we live in first century Turkey or 21st century America, one timeless technique for enhancing and protecting our reputation is doing lots of good things for other people. In fact, even outspoken atheists, people who are not at all motivated by the love of God or even by the fear of God, will say that you should still do lots of nice things for other people. And one of the biggest reasons why is the personal benefit that you will receive. It will enhance your reputation. It will give you a good name, which again is a very valuable thing. And that might be true enough. But if we think that the good things that we do to look good in the sight of others will also be viewed as good by our God, we're in for a rude awakening. Sure, on the outside those things will look very good, but but on the inside, the motivation is completely wrong. That's what caused Jesus to say to the Christians in Sardis, your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. Outwardly very good, inwardly no good at all. You know what happened to these Christians in Sardis is sort of like when the insurance adjuster shows up at your house to estimate the value of your totaled car. You know that first car that you ever owned. The one that you had so many good memories in. The one that you spent so much time taking care of and maintaining. The one that you are sure is worth every penny that it was the day that you bought it. But of course when the insurance adjuster sees that car, he doesn't see the sentimental value. He sees the dings and the rust and the high mileage on the odometer. Well, in the very same way, If our motivation for doing good things is looking good in the eyes of other people, we might achieve that, but Jesus will see right through it. When it comes to protecting this most valuable asset of ours, our reputation, that's the first thing that we need to remember. Jesus is the one who assesses its value. Other people around us can think whatever they want. Jesus' opinion is the one that truly matters. So if that's the case, and if the problem in Sardis was this inward one, and not at all an outward one, then the solution that Jesus points these Christians to makes perfect sense. After rebuking them, Jesus says, Remember what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Notice how Jesus doesn't point them to anything new. 
He doesn't say you need to go out and reinvent yourselves. You need to go out and develop this new persona or this new identity. No, in fact, he points them back. He says, remember where you came from and hold on to that. Jesus is reminding them of what made them Christians and what made them a Christian church in the first place. It wasn't all of their good deeds. It wasn't this wonderful reputation that they had developed. No, it was a gift that they had freely received from their God. The gift of a Savior. A Savior who lived perfectly for them. Who died willingly for their sins. In fact, Jesus sort of pictures this gift figuratively. He describes it as this perfectly white robe. The robe of Jesus' own perfection that God takes and covers his people in. Jesus says, remember that gift and hold on to it rather than leaving it behind because you're so concerned about what other people think. Friends, that's the very same gift that you and I have received as well. You're probably well aware that that there's a long-standing custom that when someone is baptized, especially a very young child, they often wear a baptismal gown a gown that is always white. And the reason for that custom is because that's exactly what God does for us in baptism. In baptism, he takes the snow-white robe of Jesus' perfection and he wraps us completely in it. He takes every single sinful thought we've ever had and he covers it. Every single sinful action we've committed And he hides it. Every single sinful word we've ever spoken, and he silences it forever. Just think of what that does for your reputation. The very same God who could on a moment's notice rattle off your entire rap sheet of wrongdoing now sees you as perfect and holy. In fact, he is pleased to call you his child. Jesus is proud to call you his brother or his sister. In fact, God is so pleased with you for Jesus' sake that he is willing to take his precious, priceless name and put it on you. All when you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And friends, what Jesus has done for our good name, for our reputation, completely frees us from being consumed with what other people might think. When we think about protecting this most valuable asset of ours, this is the second thing that we really need to remember. Yes, Jesus is the one who assesses its value. His opinion is the only one that matters. Jesus is also the one who assigns its value by clothing us in his perfection and by connecting our name to his. And of course that's fantastic news, isn't it? But it also presents us with a challenge. You see, as we remember, as Jesus wants us to, what he has done for our name, inevitably we will live our lives for him more and more. And yes, at times, 
Living our lives for Jesus will do good things for our reputation. Living our lives for Jesus means doing lots of nice things for other people. And even though it's not our motivation, that will in turn lead us to having a good reputation. But Jesus would want us to know that there are also going to be times when living our lives for him will have the opposite effect. Young people, when a group of friends is standing around trashing the reputation of someone else. Living for Jesus means standing up for that person and defending them. Living for Jesus means that when friends are pressuring you to participate in something wrong or sinful, you refuse, you resist. Neither one of those will do anything good for your reputation. Adults, living for Jesus means arranging our lives in a completely different way from a lot of people around us. It means managing our time and managing our resources with completely different priorities in mind, valuing most spiritual things and eternal things. Again, very different from a lot of people around us. And again, neither one of those will do anything good for your reputation. Whether we're young or whether we're old, living for Jesus will sometimes have a negative effect on our reputation and that's a very real challenge. But as Jesus sends us out into the world to confront that challenge, he makes two incredible promises to the one who is victorious in that challenge. Jesus says, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Now, if our reputation is really our most valuable asset, do you realize what good news that is? Two quick illustrations. It was recently announced just a couple of months ago that in downtown Boston, they're going to be opening up a museum that is dedicated entirely to the Boston Marathon. And in that museum, they will display all kinds of artifacts and exhibits from the entire history of that long historic race, including each year's official race poster. Now, the really cool thing about the Boston Marathon official race poster is that in really teeny tiny print that you could only see if you were right up close to it, the name of every single participant that year is printed. This is the poster from 2009, the one that has my name on it. Now, I realize that no one is ever going to see that. No one is ever going to stop and read it. But when I think about the fact that my name is going to be hanging in that museum for years and years to come, well, it sort of puts a smile on my face. You know what's way, way better than that? Jesus promises you that your name is written in his book of life. The book that has the names of every single person who will live eternally in heaven. And he promises you that he will never, ever erase that name. I realize that one might have sounded like I was tooting my own horn a little bit. So the second illustration is sort of intentionally embarrassing a little bit. One of the other 
effects of this internet age and this social media world that we live in is that regular ordinary people like me can interact with or at least attempt to interact with very, very famous people like athletes, actresses, celebrities of all sorts. And of course, these very, very famous people get thousands and thousands of people who are, who are sending them messages or writing things on their social media accounts each and every day. And so most of it goes unseen or unnoticed. Well, last Friday, I ran up to Lindsay to show her something on my phone. And I think she could tell right away that I was sort of giddy about it. You see, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers had posted something on his Twitter feed. And as is always the case, instantly dozens and dozens of people are commenting on it, leaving replies underneath his comment. And I confess, so did I. Well, a few minutes later, Aaron Rodgers posted something again. And what he posted made it very clear that out of all those comments, he had seen and appreciated the thing that I had said. So the thought that even for just a minute, my name was on his mind. Well, it's, it's kind of silly, isn't it? You know what's not silly? That God the Father, creator of the universe, and Jesus Christ, his Son, ruler over all things, would be sitting around chatting, and that God the Father would say to his Son, Son, what is on your mind today? And that he would re- reply, Well, Father, let me tell you. Lois Steckline. Ruth Redwing, Scott Smith, Ember Richardson, Colton Niprath. Jesus promises, I will acknowledge your name before my Father in heaven. Friends, our name is our most valuable asset. Jesus is the one who assesses its value. He's the one who assigns its value by clothing us in his perfection. And finally, Jesus is the one who ensures its eternal value by promising you that your name will be written in the book of life forever and that your name will be on his lips and on his mind before the Father forever. And that's especially comforting when you consider the reputation that Jesus himself has well earned. When he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.